The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the KM Community Podcast. I'm your host Oliver Kemp and over the coming months myself and my colleague Eliza Shah will be bringing you the important stories and issues from communities all over the county. If you have a story you think needs to be told, just use the hashtag KM Community on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter. Or you can email me at okemp at thekmgroup.co.uk. This week, the challenge of integrating migrant communities is felt no fiercer in Kent than in Dover. Referred to as a front line by Conservative MP Charlie Elphick, the area has seen a greater influx of asylum seekers over the last six months. Earlier this month, 33 people were saved by border patrols near Dover trying to cross the channel. But despite the increasing anti-migrant sentiment, one organisation is working to build a more integrated and diverse community in Dover, where migrants can feel welcome. Tanya Long, director of Samfire, sat down with me to discuss how they are educating people on the facts and building this community, despite increasing anti-migrant feelings in the wake of Brexit. The KM Community Podcast. If you could just briefly explain the history of Samfire and how it came to be as a project. Yeah, so Samfire is a charity that's been based in Dover since 2002. Um, To understand really why we're here, and I should explain what our kind of long-term aim is, and um, that is to work towards a community or indeed a society which is more inclusive and compassionate towards migrants. Um, so everything we do um, become involved with kind of contributes towards that aim, whether we're providing a, a service to improve the lives of migrants or bringing different diverse communities together or raising awareness through education projects. But yes, to understand um, where, where we've got to today, it's important to understand our kind of history and our our legacy. So in 2002, the Dover Immigration Removal Centre was opened up here at Western Heights in Dover. Um, And it housed um, uh, people with immigration, irregular immigration, so immigration detainees. And there there was a lot of concern locally for people in the detention centre. It's quite traumatic. they suffer from mental health issues, they, they don't know when they're coming out because of the system of indefinite detention in the UK. So um, a project or a group was created called Dover Detainee Visitor Group, um, which is what Sanfar was formerly known as, and we provided um, a project basically to allow visitors to go up to the detention centre and, and visit detainees. Um, they would offer emotional support. Um, they would try and help ensure that they could get access to legal advice. Um, at, later on in the early days, we also were able to provide some legal advice. Um, and so that project ran for, for a number of years. And um, in those early years, also people were being released from immigration detention. Often they're released because it's found that um, they cannot be removed to their country of origin, so they eventually just come back into the community, but they're they're living in places that um, they have no connection with because the Home Office will house them. So we then decided that we ought to be supporting people who've been released from immigration detention. So we established um, what we call our ex-detainee project, where we provide a free phone helpline to detainees living across the country. So it's a project that has a a national remit. Um, 
so that is kind of our, our history. Um, things changed in 2015 when the Home Office just overnight, quite suddenly, decided to close down the detention centre. What was the reason behind that? Was that ever, decide, was that ever discussed? I, don't, I think the Home Office just makes its decisions. It closes down or it opens up new ones. Um, the facility is a really old, it's an old fortress, you know, kind of adapted into a prison-like structure. Perhaps they wanted to close that down, use it for other purposes, I don't know. But the people who were obviously in those deten in, the, in Dover, detainee, um, Dover Detention Centre were then moved to other detention centres around the country. So it's not like they were released, they were actually transferred. And then that facility closed down. So of course that meant that there was no purpose for the Dover Detainee Visitor Group, so that closed overnight. Um, however, you know, we, we felt it was still important to continue providing that support to people who've been released from immigration detention. So, you know, staff and trustees in the community got together to kind of reassess what, what um, Samfire um, was doing. And uh, as I said, it was decided to continue with the ex-detainee project, but also to um, continue to engage or to develop more the work that we were doing locally. We already were raising awareness about detention and migration generally, but it was decided that we would kind of have much more of a local focus. So we then um, kind of began our community engagement work. Um, and that initially began with some talks in the community, but also the idea of um, working with our youngest generation. So we began to go into primary schools initially and give workshops on the more general, wider theme of migration. Um, so trying to let children understand what it's like to be in the, in the shoes of a young refugee, perhaps, who's leaving his or her country, Eritrea, Afghanistan, making that long journey trying to let them understand um, why people leave their countries and, and travel so far, perhaps end up in the UK in their school. Um, so trying to make that connection. Um, and that project has been going really well. We've been running it for about two, two to three years now. Um, we've been able to start going into secondary schools here in Dover. Um, that's been really well received, we're getting great feedback. So what we're doing with the schools, it's, it's not just going in and just giving a little workshop and then that's it, we go and we actually provide a more long-term support to a school because we believe that by raising awareness, educating young children about migration, um, over time, you know, they can kind of feed that back to their parents, their families, with the idea that they people will have a more positive approach and attitude towards migration. So we do the workshops and then we, we follow up um, and we work with teachers in the schools to try and embed that learning into their policy. So for example, it might be that a school um, creates a buddy system to new, for new children into the school, or they might um, start holding international days in the school you know, something, or one school I think started coffee mornings for the migrant parents. So it's, it's to try and, you know, get the schools to take it on board and take it that step further and it, and it to become an established thing within their schools. If you sow those seeds early on, 
Absolutely. theory that's going to flower out throughout the rest of the generations, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and I think the teachers get it, the schools, the, the children are really receptive, getting fantastic kind of feedback from the children. The other day we received some drawings out of the blue from one class at a school and they were drawing wonderful things, you know, like one was like almost like a journey, a roadway into the horizon saying refugees welcome or others were like friendship hands classed together. We didn't ask them to do that and they sent it to us. I mean, absolutely wonderful to see children getting it, you know, and, and hopefully we're getting them to see that a newcomer, whether they're from the next town, Scotland, Newcastle, or Afghanistan, they should be welcomed and you know feel comfortable in their own school or their community. Yeah. Yeah. So, because you talk about bringing the project to a more, it ends up having much more of a local focus once the yeah. once the detention centre closed and migration in Dover is such a big issue. I mean, only last week we there was the vessel off of Shakespeare Beach in Dover. There were 16 migrants, including four children. Um, and a Home Office spokesperson said that these people will be transferred to immigration officials for their cases to be dealt with. I don't think a lot of people understand what happens after that. And I know that Samfar isn't directly involved in those, but could, if you could tell us what actually the process is of, of these people coming here and then being taken to these the centres. Yep. What is, that, what is yeah. that process? Yeah. So when... Um anybody arrives um, either in these boats that we're seeing at the moment or um, more kind of traditionally in underneath lorries or in the back of lorries as we hear on the news, um, what will happen is indeed that the immigration authorities will, they'll be alerted and um, the people will be, personal people will be taken um, to a local kind of processing place here in Dover. And essentially, they will be um, interviewed, asked, you know, who they are, where they're from, why they've come, um, and um, then they will be allocated, as you said, a home office kind of caseworker, um, who, if they have claimed asylum in in that interview process, will then start dealing with their um, claim for asylum. And what happens is that. Um, any adult who's coming over this way will then be um, what they call dispersed, but sent out of the southeast into um, kind of hostel accommodation around the country, um, where they will, where their case will be processed. If if they're successful, they will be granted normally refugee status. There are other types of status as well. If not, they will be refused. And at that point, the norm is that they would be removed back to their country of origin. In reality, it takes a lot longer and there are appeals and different sorts of processes in place. Where there's a difference is when um, a child arrives into Dover, or anywhere basically. Um, so an unaccompanied asylum-seeking child will be dealt with differently and they will be looked after within the authority that they arrive in. So anybody arriving into Kent, so Dover, um, they will be looked after by Kent County Council, but they will also be allocated the Home Office you know, procedures of having a caseworker to, to deal with their asylum claim. But they will be housed in um, accommodation here in 
Kent. You talk about um, the fact that that often after they're assigned caseworkers and they, they get moved across the country, are there certain areas that are sort of busier than others? Yes, there are what they call dispersal towns, um, places such as Rochdale's one, um, different towns across, across mainly in the north, but other places, Cardiff is a dispersal town, different, different places. And is Dover one of those places? No. It's not? No. And I, there's a kind of historical reason to that in the, in the early 2000s there was quite a lot of um, people arriving into Dover um, claiming asylum and um, it was all, it was becoming quite difficult to manage the large numbers of people um, and so I think the Home Office reviewed its policy and came up with dispersing out of Kent and, and largely out of the southeast but there are some dispersal points in the southeast as well so that it would be more kind of shared and managed across the country because do you think that there's when you look at news stories there feels like there may be a perception that when people come to dover from other countries seeking asylum they remain in dover they don't remain in dover they might be here a few hours a night perhaps the most two nights um but no they will they will and indeed you're correct um often there's a lot of um, kind of increased tension and um, anti-migrant feeling because there's a feeling that they're, they're staying in Dover. That's not the case at all. They're being processed here initially and then they are being um, housed in other parts of the country. But of course there are still a lot of migrant communities here, which is why Samfire is doing what it's doing, right? Yeah, there are migrant communities in Dover. Um, they, they tend to be more settled migrant communities that have been here over a number of years. So, for example, we've got a large um, Nepalese community um, dating back, obviously also in Folkestone area, dating back to the kind of Gurkha link that we have, historical link. So it's a big Nepalese community. We also have a large Roma community so, um, who um, have been coming perhaps over the ten, last 10, 15 years. Um, so European nationals now, um, and that community has been growing somewhat. And then there are other Eastern Europeans and other, of course, other, you know, communities here, Kurdish people, African, um, but those are the main kind of people here. And do you think, do you think people's perceptions, because that's what, largely what you guys are dealing with, is people's perceptions of migrant communities and migrants in their, in their local area. Um, do you think those perceptions are getting easier or more difficult to deal with? And is Brexit in some ways compounding some of those perceptions? Um, I think it's always been a challenge to um, change people's attitudes, people's perceptions. And I think um, those perceptions have, have been there. There's, uh, people don't want migrants or or perhaps they do, there's, there's obviously different people with different views, but I do think that um, certainly with the arrival of the small, small boats um, bringing in asylum seekers or whatever into the country, um, that created quite a lot of um, voiced anti-migrant feeling. And I think that was because it was something much more visible than people arriving in the lorries. Um, so you will know there's been a lot of media attention in Dover 
um, partly due to the boats arriving, but also, as you say, partly due to Brexit. So I think it's a combination. I, I think Brexit is also um, kind of facilitating almost an anti-migrant voice as well. It's almost condoning people, allowing people to say, well, you shouldn't be here, you know, Brexit's coming. You know, there have been incidents even in, with children in schools being told to go back to their European country of origin. Um, so I think those different things are kind of creating a more, div more um, divisive community, more divisive voice, which is a challenge to address. It's something we are trying to do here at Samfire. Um, because also there are people on the other side who, who do welcome the migrant communities and, and are supportive and compassionate towards what refugees are suffering across the world. So you've kind of got those different voices, different attitudes going on in one place. But what we're aiming to do in Dover is to bring everybody together from all our communities um, and work towards a, a community that is more kind of socially cohesive, more accepting of our migrant communities um, so that we can really be a better place and we can end, we can kind of celebrate our diversity. And, and it's interesting when you talk about the fact that the a lot of people seeking asylum that come to Dover, they don't stay in Dover, but that does feel an anti an anti immigration mm -hmm. sentiment, and then that has a knock on effect and affects the settled migrant communities of Dover who aren't actually connected mm -hmm. to the people who are seeking asylum now because these communities have been in Dover for such a long time anyway. Yeah. So there's, there's seems, there seems to be, in those perceptions, you also have um, maybe a challenge in, in trying to break that divide and explain to people and show people that these things are actually two different yeah. separate entities. Yeah, I think it's important and I suppose part of our role is to try and explain the, the difference. Um, you know, this country's had migration f throughout its history and I think it's important to 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 you know, make sure that people are aware of that, especially the younger generations who might not be so aware of the historical. You know, Dover's been at the you know, gateway to Europe and the gateway to Britain from, from Europe, so it's a really important strategic place historically, um, and we continue to have you know, diverse communities. But yes, whilst we're all, you know, we're all working towards a more compassionate society in the whole, um, it is important to understand, and so when we go into schools, we talk about who is an asylum seeker, who is a refugee, who is an economic migrant. You know, so we, you know, we try and explain about the Windrush and the kind of general, you know, the um, people coming from former colonial, you know, links to to our country. So I think it's important that all of that is put into perspective, so that you know, people in well, the children, especially in Dover, understand that. Um, and then with the adults is trying to sort of say, hey, you know, we should be celebrating this. We are a multicultural country. You know, we, we should be getting on with each other and working together. Can you also um, see it from, I guess, for lack of a better term, from the other side as well, when people, talk, people believe that when there are migrants coming to this country, they are somehow taking something away from somebody else um, and that that's that's quite a heavily fueled opinion and, and arguably something that fueled brexit more as well um, I mean how do you how do you 
have a conversation with those people that have that opinion? How would you approach that conversation? Um, yeah, I, I agree. That's quite a, a challenging, um, you know, situation. And I think, yes, there are, there's a lot of poverty in this country as well. There are a lot of um, show, social and economic issues that people are facing, especially in Dover and East Kent. I, I you know, completely understand that. Um, but at the same time, I think it's quite important to point out that um, many of those issues could actually be resolved by our own government, our own local authorities, you know, whoever is in, in control. And, you know, um, the austerity that we've had over the last few years, cutting back on so many different services, we've seen increased homelessness. That's not down to, you know, um, asylum seekers arriving from France. So I think it, it, it's a separate issue. I can understand where people are coming from, but I think, you know, that it needs to be pointed out that if a government changed its way of approaching homelessness, for example, that could be resolved in, you know, perhaps over time, but if resources were put into that, you know, things could be different. Do you think there, uh, could there ever be a, a tipping point where um, people seeking asylum into this country, if the numbers got particularly high, it would start having a knock-on effect that, that on, on a serious economic scale? Because people are seeing in the news every, uh, once a week at the moment, there are people coming over on boats and then they're, like you say, being dispersed into certain communities. Is there, is there ever a point where that could happen or do we have an infrastructure capable of, of looking after all of these people that are coming over? I think at the moment, I think another thing that the, perhaps the media might be to blame is that um, we're not talking about huge numbers. Um, there are a few people arriving um, okay, over the summer we might see a few more because the weather's better. Little you know, factors like that might influence it. But in the grand scheme of things, we are really seeing a small trickle of asylum seekers coming into this country. If you look at Europe, you know, the, the countries such as Germany receive far more asylum seekers than we do. Um, if you look at the border countries, Greece and Italy, of course, they are, are, are the ones who are, are dealing with, you know, huge issues to do with asylum seekers coming into their countries. So we really are dealing with, a sm with small numbers. Um, and um, I do think we've got the capacity to deal with the people coming at the moment. Yeah, and I, and I feel we also um, have should be compassionate understanding and we have a duty because they have a right to claim asylum here as well. Does that stem to economic migrants as well? People that are perhaps not coming from war-torn countries and things like that, but people mm -hmm. that are coming for a better life? Yeah. Do I mean, I believe anybody, if they want to come for a, a better life, they have every right to do so. The economic migrants, obviously, you, you maybe are talking about, for example, we've got EU migrants at, at the moment of course that will change in the future but they're coming in through an established you know um, process and they're working here quite legitimately we've got the government's point system or whatever so you know economic migrants have a right to be here as, as such mm. do you see your role and Samfar's role changing in any way what if that Brexit deal, if and when that Brexit deal gets over the line and we, we leave Europe mm -hmm. finally, whether that's going to be October or beyond, do you see Samfar's position or role changing in any way because of those, those factors of Brexit? Mm. 
It's quite difficult to say because, of course, the Brexit thing has been going on so long and who knows how it's going to transpire in the end. So it's a difficult question to answer. Um, at the moment, we have just recently set up a new project, a, a legal project, where we're able to offer um, immigration advice and support um, at what's called um, OISC level one. So it's a low kind of initial immigration advice um, to people in Dover. And what we're seeing is European nationals coming to us asking for help for the EU settlement scheme. And we're seeing people who are quite vulnerable, have perhaps applied and then lived here years, been asked for further proof or whatever and don't know what to do. So we are actually seeing and witnessing a lot of European nationals here who are getting stuck with this process of EU settlement. And so that's, it's the uncertainty Many people, I think, still don't realise that they need to apply for EU settlement status. So that is an issue, and I suppose that's the one way we're trying to address what's happening with Brexit at the moment, is by being able to offer practical legal support to those people. Is there enough, enough organisations uh, out there and government initiatives to make those people aware that they need to apply for that? There are quite a few initiatives happening at the moment. The Home Office has got its own one. Um, we're obviously trying to do it. There's another organisation called Migrant Help who are doing it. So people are, organisations are aware of it and local authorities are aware of it. But you'd be surprised at how many people who actually have to comply with this aren't aware of it. And that's where the issue is. And a lot of these organisations are trying to reach those harder to reach people. Mm. So we're working quite a lot with the Roma community and East Europeans and so on to try and reach the people who perhaps need it. For many, it's easy. They just go on the computer and do it. But for many others whose English skills are perhaps not so good, that's where there are issues. Okay. So uh, Dover Together, which is the, one of the, the sort of yep. main parts of, of the Sam Farza project, what, how, how, does that take, how does that take effect? What does, what does Dover Together look like? Okay, so Dover Together, again, it, ca it, it came out of our um, focus to work with the people of Dover, with the community of Dover. So... We created Dover Together, but in a sense, it's really facilitating a residence group or a resident-led group um, and encouraging the residents of Dover to come up with ideas um, of activities or events or initiatives that will bring the different communities of Dover together um, with a view to increasing interaction between different people from different communities, um, creating positive experiences, putting people together who might not have got together under other circumstances and breaking down those barriers that might exist between different communities. And so the idea behind it is to work towards better kind of inclusiveness of the migrant communities, better social cohesion and a better Dover really. Um, so the steering group decides and plans ideas and activities um, and brings it all together. So we've had um, film nights where international films are shown and then there's been discussions in a cafe, all quite informal, but discussions you know, about what, 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 what the films are all about and what does it mean. So there's going to be a series of film nights 
over the next year. Um, um, we've had a big football tournament where we brought together teams um, of a young asylum-seeking children. Um, we had local Devorian teams, we had a business group, um, we had a Samphire group. So everybody kind of playing football and the idea is that we'll do another big big one and include other, you know, get Roma involved, you know, different people involved. So that again, you've got people, football obviously lots of people, you know, find that as a, a common medium, common some, something that people enjoy. So bringing those people together um, with a bit of an explanation why we're doing it this way is really good and that was supported by the Deputy Mayor of Dover, the last one that we did. We're hoping to do one later in the summer. So that's really good. Um, so a number of kind of smaller initiatives like that we want to kind of help facilitate throughout the year. But it's up to the residents. If they feel something isn't right, then, you know, they'll do it, do it the way that they want to do it. We're not here to tell people what to do. Um, and then, of course, our big event of the year, we just had our um, third multicultural festival, which again, Dover together, were very, um, you know, took an active part in it, helped set it up, run it, and invited all the different groups to be involved. Um, we helped kind of facilitate it, pull it together. And that was wonderful, and that's, that's kind of become an, an annual event on Dover's calendar. So it happens here at Pensister Gardens, which is in the heart of Dover. It brings together um, local migrant groups to almost showcase their own culture. So we had a beautiful Roma dance group performing. We had children performing Nepalese dancing, Bangra dancing. We had a, a Syrian band. We had all sorts of different performers. We also had workshops where people could take part in some of those same kind of activities that had been performed. International foods from all local chefs um, and stalls and that. So a real nice festival feel, but with but kind of celebrating Dover's diversity. And this year it was opened by the mayor of Dover, so it was absolutely fantastic to have him there. And he stayed and mingled with different people. And it was a wonderful event. So that's kind of becoming an established event. Um, and we hope we'll be able to do that every year. Yeah. So, I mean, to end on, a, I guess, a slightly more speculative note, especially coming off of the, you're talking about the success of these projects with Dover together, do you think there will always be a tension in Kent and Dover when it comes to immigration, or do you think there could be a turning point in, in, in perceptions? Again, that's... I mean, I'd, I'd love to think that we could be an inclusive and compassionate society, which is, of course, what our aim is. Um, however, we do live in an increasingly hostile environment, um, which has kind of worsened over the last few years. Um, and it's hard to say where that's going to go. Um, and it would be wonderful if the tensions weren't here, and then we wouldn't even need to exist. Um, but I think we will be here for a few more years to come. Tanya, thank you very much. Thank you. The KM Community Podcast, bringing you stories from Kent's communities every week.